Hey, Alicia, you got your mug? Hey, Jamie girl, I got my glass. Let's get into this black tea. This is black tea, your bottomless cup of empowerment, political education, and black excellence. Every month, we bring you raw and uncut news, spilling the tea on all of the latest hot-button social issues and events for the culture. On today's episode of Black Tea, we're in the midst of the November elections. Still. Still. Every one of the major news stations has declared Joe Biden the president-elect, and almost every world leader has acknowledged his victory. Everyone, except current President Trump, is preparing for the transition of power. Meanwhile, the rest of us are wondering, what's going to happen next? I wish I could, but I can't say I'm surprised. Mm -hmm. We talked about what would happen if he contested the election on the last episode. What's the tea on that, Jamie? Well, first of all, all the states aren't done counting votes. At the current time that we're recording this, Joe Biden's final electoral votes could reach 306, and he only needed 270 to win. But this week, the Secretary of State in Georgia said they have to recount all of the votes by hand. Mm. On top of that, Trump's campaign has filed lawsuits in five states with allegations ranging from poll watchers weren't allowed in to some absentee ballots were invalid due to their arrival dates. It just, it says a lot about his leadership that he seems to be moving faster to stop votes from being counted than he did or is to stop COVID deaths, which are still happening at alarming rates. But I'll leave that topic for another day. One thing this election highlights and should have all of us critically thinking about is the ineffectiveness of our voting system. Mm -hmm. Of the 50 states, why is it that only 22 allow for election day voter registration? Why is it that most people are even are unaware that there are 22 states that allow for election day voter registration? For as, quote, great, end quote, as people regard America, we are not leading when it comes to our voting system slash process. Imagine being, imagine electoral processes like Canada, where citizens have a card sent to their home that informs, informs them that they've been automatically registered to vote and where the local polls are, which are usually within walking de- distance to the resident. The card doesn't even have to be with the citizen when they vote because everyone's already automatically registered. And the entire process of registration and voting can take less than five minutes. That's a stark difference from America where there are states like Mississippi that don't allow early voting, have extremely restricted access to mail-in ballots, and it shouldn't go unmentioned that Mississippi, with all of these additional barriers and obstacles, also has the highest proportion of black residents in America. Yep, I completely agree with you. If voting restrictions, laws, and processes weren't so complicated and different for every state, questions of voter fraud wouldn't even be possible. Period. In an odd way, all of Trump's efforts do show the power that votes have. I mean, if they didn't have any power, why would he want to keep counting votes when it's clear that there's no possible win for him, or have votes that have already been counted recounted, or sue states to have them stop counting votes altogether when the vote wasn't or isn't going in his favor. Exactly, and let's unpack that for a minute because it brings up another remarkable thing that we've been seeing with this election. So the state of Georgia, Georgia, is most likely going to vote blue this year, which it hasn't done since 1992. That's major. That happened because of two things. 
First, in major suburban jurisdictions surrounding city centers like Atlanta, Savannah, and Augusta, voters voted democratically mostly. And second, because people in Atlanta turned out to vote. That increased voter turnout can largely be attributed to the wonderful Stacey Abrams. Period, and her team. Let's spill the tea on Stacey for a minute. For those of you who may not know, the Stacey Abrams is a member of the Georgia House of Reps that challenged sitting Governor Brian Kemp in the 2018 elections and lost by just 55,000 votes. It's no coincidence, Brian Kemp, the man that Stacey was up against for the governor position, was the Secretary of State beforehand. That position monitors elections. And while in that position, he put 53,000 voter registration applications on hold. And guess how many of those votes just happened to be people of color and would have most likely been Democratic? A whopping 70%. Meaning, had he not have held the Secretary of State position or not used that position to put 53,000 voter registration applications on hold, our good sis Stacey would have been that much closer to governorship win. Wow. <laughs> voter suppression. After she lost, Stacey Abrams didn't give up, though. Shout out to black women. She started Fair Fight, which is a campaign to combat combat voter suppression and encourage voter registration. Talk about a boss, honey. Yep, and in the last two years, Fair Fight registered more than 800,000 new voters in Georgia. That's historic. Yep, a boss indeed, okay? But that's not all. Historic things have been happening all around this year's election cycle. Arizona voted democratically for the second time in 70 years, largely due to indigenous voters like the Hopi tribe and the Navajo Nation. Sarah McBride of Delaware just became the first openly transgender senator in U.S. history. Love to see it. And all of the representatives for New Mexico's House seats are women of color. All of that. All of that. And of course, we can't forget to mention that Cori Bush became Missouri's first black congresswoman. Well. But let's finish up this whole presidential election thing because I want to know, and I'm sure our listeners want to know, is it over? If not, will it ever be over? I know. I wish it was. All these disputes over the counts in the states must be complete by December 8th because members of the Electoral College- Which we talked about on our last episode. Yeah, we did. (laughs) They vote on December 14th. Then the U.S. House and Senate hold a joint session on January 6, 2021 to count all the electoral votes in each state. So long story short, we could be arguing about all of this for a little minute. Hate to see it. Okay, so now let's get into what's going on locally, because this election had a huge impact on local policy, too. On the November ballot, in addition to electing officials, people also voted for judges on statewide amendments and local propositions. Some of the big ones right here in St. Louis were Amendment 3, Proposition 1, and Proposition D. Right, so let's cover the state policy first. So Amendment 3 was a proposal for statewide election revisions, which mostly sought to change the rules about how elected officials are put into office. And it determined the redistricting process, which creates borders around who elected officials represent. While the bill covered small things like changing donation limits to campaigns on the ballot, in reality, the bulk of Amendment 3 was to reverse the Clean Missouri Act, which voters passed in 2018. Wait a minute. 
So basically, you're saying voters voted in favor of the Clean Missouri Act two years ago, yep. which basically says we want a neutral third party to monitor the election process, which could be a good thing for democracy. Mm-hmm. But then some of our legislators sneak this by proposing that we undo something that voters already voted in favor of? Yep. And it passed with 51% support to 49% against. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. So about these city propositions, what's the tea on Prop 1, Alicia? So Proposition 1, which sought to change the residency requirements for city employees, failed with 50% against and 49% in support of. And there was Proposition D, which sought to change the voting process for citywide elections to where the top two candidates, regardless of their specific political party in the general election, will go on to the next. So essentially, a candidate's specific political party, i.e. Democrat or Republican, no longer impacts if they move on to the next step of the election. That passed with 68% support and 31% in favor. And if you want more details on local election results, you can check your local news stations. They all have election 2020 results pages, or you can go to Balladopedia.org for summaries and background information on all of the things that we mentioned today. This episode of Black Tea is brought to you by the Divided City Initiative. The Divided City is a joint project of the Center for the Humanities and the Sam Fox School, College of Architecture and Urban Design at Washington University, right here in St. Louis. The Divided City is funded by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. We are so excited to get in today's Community Spotlight segment of the show. We have a dear friend and brother of mine, the Rasheen Aldridge. Rasheen began his community involvement with Fight for 15 and then became highly involved and a leader in the protest in Ferguson movement, even being appointed to Ferguson Commission by former Governor Nixon. He ran for committee man in 2016, which made him the youngest African-American committee man in St. Louis and then replaced predecessor Bruce Franks, who stepped down in order to focus on his mental health. From fast food worker to Missouri House of Representatives for the 78th District and newly elected Democratic Freshman Caucus Chairman, it's an honor to have you, Rasheen. Oh, it's good to be on, sis. This is so great. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Glad to be on. How you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm good. You know, it's bright. It's early. Your it's coffee Sunday, tasting Sunday. good and your little mocha. <laughs> hey, you know, we got your little granola bar in the mix. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It's our pleasure. Yeah, we appreciate it. So the first question that we have for you is we just want to know how did this all start? When did you feel that like first community activist spark to start working for injustice and fighting for your community? Where did it start? So I think for me, um, it started inside the wound even before I came out my mom. Mm. So I was one way or another going to be a rebel rouser because I was trying to come out butt first, um, (laughs) tell the world to kiss my you know what. I was a C-section baby because uh, when I laid inside my mom, I actually didn't get proper blood flow to the right side of my oh, leg. Wow. So what happened was the right side of my leg, I was laying on it, and it ended up not getting the proper blood flow. So due to you know the way I was laying, they had to have a C-section. And the right side of my leg actually grew shorter than the left side of my leg. So I got a prosthetic on the right side. So mm. like I say, some way, somehow, I was going to be a rebel rouser. But um, I would say for me, it started at a very early age. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Car Square community, 
which is like many communities in St. Louis, especially North Side St. Louis, impoverished, lack of opportunities, not really uh, much to do in your own neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So growing up in that community, but going to a county school, I think I had like these special lenses as part of the DSEG program. So I went to Parkway from like kindergarten all the way to 12th grade. And for me, it was always like, you know, when I would go out to Parkway, the grass was greener, the mm-hmm. air was nicer, it tasted better. Mm-hmm. You know, walking from the school to the gas stations during lunchtime with your friends, it just seemed like it was so much more to do. But and then when I would come back home to my own neighborhood, my own community, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like an animal in cage, uh, you know, didn't have those same opportunities. There wasn't the, the gas stations, there wasn't the playgrounds, there wasn't no community sense of you know, this is your neighborhood for you to be able to enjoy it. So I always questioned it, you know, why my own community really didn't have the same opportunities uh, that I was going to school for. I never really, I guess, made a difference in that way until after high school, Mm -hmm. until I started getting plugged in with different organizations. But even in um, even in high school, even not being connected to community organizing, I remember when Trayvon Martin uh, was killed and there was a rally downtown at the old courthouse that they went from like the courthouse to a bridge somewhere um close to the illinois side but the next day i went to school and i had a hoodie and i had got a a piece of paper that said i am trayvon martin and i had bought a box of skittles and uh, a watermelon um sweet tea and i had had the hoodie on and with the i am trayvon martin on the back the box of skittles on the front i walked around with the sweet tea and I ended up getting called into the principal office and they called my mom and they was like, you know, he needs to take it off. So my mom was like, you need to, mm-hmm. you know, not get in trouble. So I took it off, but I put it back on. And then eventually <laughs> uh, they didn't, clearly they didn't, well, I want to say clearly, but I didn't get in trouble for that because it probably would have backlash on them for me speaking up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say, you know, at an early on stage, just through my lived experiences growing up in a neighborhood that didn't have some that another neighborhood did, it wanted me to be able to be that person that can provide those opportunities or resources. And yeah. after I graduated, it just really like took off. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's so interesting when we were talking about having you on the show, one of the things that I was talking to Jamie about was about like that transition of going, like seeing you go, you know, we met in 2014. Yeah. So seeing you go from that to like, like from activist to activist and politician, I wouldn't take away the activist title. Please. Yeah, right. Um, Activist first. Period. Period. Um, So like doing that too. So what was the hardest part of like, that transition for you and just like running an actual political campaign to go from activist, someone who you get to choose when you're involved, when you do it, you don't necessarily have to have a structure to, okay, I'm running for this position. I actually want to represent this community in a formal legislative way. I think I got a little bit of early experience with that during Ferguson. So, um, you know, when governor Nixon, former governor Nixon at the time, like said he was putting together this Ferguson commission he was the same person that like called in the National Guard. He was the same person that put the curfews up that said we needed to not stay still, that we had to like walk. Um, they had like a five second rule. And if you didn't walk in five seconds, they would arrest you. So he was no. Which was found to be unconstitutional. Which was unconstitutional. Shout out to ACLU. Period. Um, great allies in the movement. Many other uh, lawyer groups that did a lot of like pro bono, knowing that, you know, black people, constitutional rights was being violated. But. Um, he was no ally in the movement. So when the Ferguson Commission thing came about, it was like, oh, yeah, that's some is not real is some BS. 
and it's nothing that really sparked my attention. But I remember talking to Laura Greenwich, who at the time was a director of Missouri's Jobs with Justice. And she was like, you know, I, I get it. You know, the individuals that are putting this together aren't friends and allies. But for you to have a voice in all spaces, sometimes you got to be in all places. Um, and either you can be at the table or you could be on the menu. Mm. And they need to have somebody that's been out in the streets. They need to have somebody who's yeah. young, that's been affected, um, you know, that may have the same stories as somebody who's black and 60, but in a different way because only thing that's happening right now with time is changing. They're figuring out every time we make gains to figure out how strategically they can push us back. So I applied for it because of that thought process of we have to also be in every space and every place at every time. But that also came with a fear that the people in the streets will look at me as being different now that I'm on this commission. You know, the people that I've been out here with for the last hundred some days well, during the commission, it was early, so maybe 60, 90 days would look at me different and wouldn't understand, but they, they didn't. They embraced me. They knew who I was, um, and they knew, I think, what we all was trying to accomplish together. If you've seen me on the commission or you've seen, like, Tef, um, and Rika and T-Dub doing it through a different way or Alicia and Jonathan doing it as, you know, organizing on campus, we all was doing it pushing forward but in a in a different type of arena so exactly. when it came to the politics thing you know they're there that's a whole different arena right. um it's one thing being on the commission but it, you know being in politics is like its own system it's its own cliques mm-hmm. it's its own things that need to change which in that so it was and it still tends to be very hard i would say for a young person mm-hmm. that's coming in that's unapologetic um that really cares about the community uh, and want to make a difference. Sometimes it's a lot of pushback. Like you need to wait, you know, running for office, running against mm-hmm. a family that's been in there for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, we was told we need to wait our turn. And then the fact that we ran against this family dynasty mm-hmm. was like a, a, a scar that you shouldn't do. It's like a, you shouldn't go against the own grain, but it's like these people in our community um, ain't making a difference. They're not really, you know, out here in the community really trying to push policy that's going to make change. So it was more difficult to move from activists to politics just due to even sometimes our own people. Um, you know, we, we talk all the time about we want the next generation uh, to be the next leaders, the next presidents, the next doctors. But when we say, OK, we're ready you know, they tell us like, oh, you too inexper- inexperienced. You need to wait two more years. Go get some training under you. But th- that's not true because at once yeah. upon a time you was in that position <laughs> right. where somebody told you that you was unexperienced <laughs> right. and you yeah. still went for it. So when we go forward and say, oh, they're just being radical, they don't want to listen, it, it, I think we still have a large generational divide. And I think that was the most thing I struggled with, with the transition from activism to politics is my own community and a generational divide. Yeah, but no, I think what you're saying is really powerful because there's a lot of people, you know, that are looking to you now as a young person in the arena and saying like, I'm so glad he's there because it gives me confidence like to know that like there's someone that looks like me fighting for me that can make change. And so when you talk about all the challenges, I know it can be a little bit hard for you um, when you're actually doing the work to see that sometimes. So is there any like bright moment or bright story that you felt the most proud of how uh, now being in this role or, you know, any any dark moment where you felt like, you know, maybe this is tough. Maybe I can't give up. Yeah, for both. I say for the I'm gonna start with the dark. I'm gonna start with the the negative and go to positive. I would say the the dark moment was and, and not trying to make it seem like because we got plenty of great elders 
in the community, Mama Jara, uh, Mama Jamala Rogers, Percy Green. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Treasurer Tashara Jones, Senator Jamila Nasheed. Note that I said a lot of black women, <laughs> uh, black woman magic. But we yeah, love that. Yeah, right. And, um, but you know, it is a lot of of folks that have said run and go with it, while some are saying you need to sit back and wait. And I would think I would say for me, my darkest moment was. You know, in that first year in 2016, when I got elected as the youngest African-American committee man in St. Louis history, I know that I, like I said, I went against this political family dynasty, which traditionally in the black community or in black politics is like, oh, you know, you don't go against this grain because they're just a political machine. But that was outdated. Mm-hmm. And I would say for me in my first year, the darkest moments, I remember actually I was in uh I think I had like a breakdown moment. I was in uh, Baltimore with Megan Green. We was at a a convention called Local Progress. And I had just got to, you know, we was talking at the convention about new blood and like support and and mentorship. And it just had hit me like this whole past year. I feel like I haven't been getting that from people in the community, not ones that voted for me, but other elected officials, other elders. Um, I felt like I've been for that first year, I was doing more of trying to prove myself to my own people as a young person saying, Hey, look, I'm young. I did what y'all said, Mm -hmm. you know, get involved. And it's still being looked at as, Oh, you too radical. Are you part of that group? So, I mean, at the time, 2016, I was what, maybe 20, 22, 23. And we all, I think people look at me and they look at Alicia and they look at other activists as strong, but we also have, you know, behind closed doors, yeah. we're human. Right. Um, and I, and that, and that first year it started, it really did hit me that it sucked that I did not have, you know, the support from my own black elders embracing me on the road that I took and the work that I was trying to do. Yeah. And I remember at that convention, I had made like a long Facebook post of just uh, feeling discouraged and, you know, a couple of tears, but you you know, you move on. But I would say, but I don't have one bright highlight. I think when, for me, you know, getting involved into organizing since 2012, never knew what organizing was, activism, never protested before, to the position that I am in now, to see the growth, not just in myself, but to see the growth amongst the movement. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, in 2014, when we went out to Ferguson, we didn't know each other from a can of paint. Right. Um, we didn't have no connections with each other, but we quickly became a family. And sometimes that came with arguments and everything else. But to see the progress of the movement, how it's continuing and continuing to progress, it's not going as quick as we want it to be. But when you look back at, never does. I mean, we need it to happen like, <laughs> right. like Today. that, like, now. you know, <laughs> but I mean, to look at, you know, people like you, Alicia, doing what you're doing with your podcast and what y'all did um, on the university to continue to push it. And then you look at people like Ohan that's doing it through businesses. And she has like for the culture uplifting black businesses. You look at Corey Bush, you know, that was out there in the trenches with us now the first congresswoman in Missouri or first black congresswoman in the state of Missouri and the first black congresswoman in the city of St. Louis for CD1. Like, it's people, even Bruce Franks, who I replaced, um, you know, the move from protest to politics and then to organize and lead large marches through Jason Stockley. The movement has continued to 
grow and grow. Mm-hmm. And you've seen people that maybe wasn't part of the movement at 14 and 15 and 16. That don't make them no lesser or not a one day one. It's for all of us. It's all of us. Yeah. And to see them now come into the fold and just to see it happening on a local, regional and national level, mm-hmm. it, it changes, changes coming. And for I, I see it and I'm happy that I've been part of. I feel like Ferguson changed the world. I mean, if it wasn't for the death. No doubt of Mike Brown and what we did. And, and it's just so beautiful to see how it's organically going, the people in the movement, what they doing, how they continuing to work. Again, young folks that never knew what organizing was, didn't come from your traditional organization. And now you got people like Kayla Reed got our own organization leading um, election work and issue work. So the highlight is constantly going every day when I look on Facebook and I see my family doing great stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I just, I think that's extremely community centered that when, it, <laughs> when people actually about your brightest moment. And I mean, that's real too, to see people that now it's been six years, you know, um, it's the time is just flying by. Like, I think that's very community centered that you, your brightest moment is seeing yourself and other people progress and have a certain kind of trajectory. Um, that's extremely community-centered. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's, the same, it's the things we say, you know, it takes a village to raise a village. Did I say yeah. that wrong? It takes each other to raise a village. Something like that, y'all know. We, we, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, it, it takes a village to raise a child. That, that part, sure. too. And, you know, we all got to eat. And that's... And that's, the movement is the baby. And movement and is the baby. And change is the baby. And mm-hmm. we all the parents. Yeah. And, I mean, it, for me, it's true. that is truly it. I love to see the fact that, you know, even... And like Howard, it's just so many stories. Sometimes I wish we had like a love in, uh, y'all know love and hip hop. Mm-hmm. I, I some, love yeah, I love an activist because even there in the movement, I mean, so many like, you know, it's a family, like you said, it like, just came together. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so many moments people weren't able to see that was, I think, so magical. essential and magical that made the movement happen. I mean, you've seen the tweets or you've seen the videos. The but behind the behind the scenes. Not behind the scenes. Not the, the long meetings in the church basement yeah. or OBS. We was somebody's church basement every night for man, about a year. Yeah. <laughs> Living out. I mean, sleeping outside, arguing with each other, the drama. But the love that was amongst it all was just something I wish we had our own. Loving activists. Well, you never know. You know, we starting with black tea, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day we'll pitch a little little pilot. Yeah. Right. A little reality show. Make, right. sure I'm, make sure I'm on there. I'm good for TV. <laughs> Um, so one of the things that we talked about in the earlier part of the show, um, you know, we talked about the presidential election, of course, but one thing that we really want to drive home on Black Tea for all of our listeners, both in St. Louis and away, is the importance of local policy. Yes. We've talked about it in terms of being educated and being aware, and also in terms of a lot of people feeling like, oh, I'm not going to vote because it doesn't matter. And so helping people understand that the local policy really impacts a lot in your community. So in St. Louis, some of the big policies that we had was Prop 1, Prop D, and Amendment 3. Mm-hmm. So we were curious about your thoughts on each of those. Were you in support or against them, and why? And I'm so glad. I'm going to tell you, if I, you know, if I had some tea, I'd take a sip of the tea. <laughs> I'm going to take a sip of this cold water. I know we're working on the tea part, but I'm glad, that, <laughs> I'm glad y'all brought that up because, like you say, local races and local issues are just as important on a national level. When you're talking about, like, local candidates, you're all the person, your committee people, um, your school board, like, you're all the person in some sense almost just as powerful as me as state rep. They make decisions on a local level local level when it comes to like potholes lights streets um trash anything that you can think of on a local level they have that input development 
you know, they really drive that. So we pay attention to the president every four years. I think that's what Democrats go wrong. But we also need to pay attention to these local races that's happening yeah. in our own community. We got the mayor race coming up next year, 2017. Shout out to Shara Jones. That's who I'm supporting. I know y'all not making any endorsements on Black Tea, but, you know, we got those races and all the matter races that's going to be coming up. But uh, issues are just as important when they be on the ballot because the power of a proposition is you don't need a legislator or all the person to say, oh, I'm going to pass this legislation to make it happen. Voters get to go out and say, mm-hmm. you know what, I want to make Friday a non-work day and we should have work days Monday through Thursday and have four day work. I mean, that's a proper, that's no, something that's not on the ballot. Not on the ballot. Not on the ballot. Talk about that later on. Yeah, yeah, but that is some legislation that, uh, you know, I'm interested in filing, but just say that's on the ballot, right? Going to four day work week where people work, you know, they 40 hours between Monday to Thursday and then have Friday off. Like voters get to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever, a Monday. Sunday, Saturday off. Voters get to decide what policies they want to see in their own community without saying, hey, Rasheen, or without saying, hey, Representative Lakeisha Bosley, can you pass legislation around this? Um, we had some big ones on the last ballot, this last election we just had. I would say the biggest one that I'm proud of that's probably the most controversial is Proposition D. Um, Proposition D is basically going to a, a nonpartisan election cycle for your automatic candidates your mayor, your president board alderman, and your comptroller. And basically, it's approval voting. It's similar to ranked choice voting where you get to approve as many candidates that you want. And then the top two candidates go into the general runoff. Why is that? Because what you've seen in the city of St. Louis is our mayor, president board alderman, have been winning with less than 32% of the city, not a mandate. And we shouldn't be proud of that. Even with city uh, turnout is like, 30%. And I think at the present board, all I mean, it's like 17, 18%. We shouldn't be proud of that. And then we electing leaders to decide the way we move our city forward or our community forward. We should have more community engagement. I think with Proposition D, it forces politicians to be more accountable to uh, the community. You're just not running off a name or you're just not running because you're the incumbent or you're Democrat. You got to go out one collect signatures to get on the ballot and i feel like people are like oh my god that's crazy no if you can't get 52 signatures in the fifth ward to get on the ballot why are you running for office like people clearly don't want you be in office you have the right to run but if the people are saying no and they're not signing that should say something right we shouldn't constantly have the jimmy matthews that run for every position and wasting time from our candidates that are really uh, thriable candidates that's going to make a difference. So I was a big yes on Prop D. I'm not going to go deep into that, but I think it's going to be something that's like transformative for our city. Um, and for us moving forward, we're not the first city. Kansas City do like this ranked choice. thing is St. Louis is so old school and outdated and antiquated. We couldn't do ranked choice because our board of, all, our board of elections is so outdated that they won't allow that program to happen mm-hmm. and they don't have the funds to upgrade it. So we need to really catch up to the 21st century. Uh, Amendment three, I was a no on. Um, it's something a trick Republicans did. They won. Um, we passed Clean Missouri, taking away big money from politicians and lobbyist gifts. We passed it all across the state. Uh, Republicans didn't like it because it had the gerrymandering. They didn't gerrymander like Democratic districts so tight. And Amendment three was gonna make it more. Gerrymandering was listeners. Yeah, yeah. So gerrymandering and, and Denise Lieberman, if she was on, she would give you like the, the perfect rundown, but I'm gonna give you the hood synopsis of it. <laughs> basically <laughs> Right. So basically is every ten years and we about to redistrict again, you know, they redistrict and they draw your 
state lines, your federal lines, your local lines, and they are drawn new due to the population of the census. But what Republicans have done is they've been able to draw the lines where they are compact and compiled, where you have Democrats all just in one area, mm-hmm. instead of stretching it out where it is fair enough for us to be able to pick up seats beyond just where we are currently are. So they didn't put us all like in one circle. Uh, either in St. Louis City and North County or in like Kansas City and they'd have made it where they districts are harder for us to like go in and be able to win right. um, and clean Missouri was going to fix that but they put it on the ballot say vote yes for it and it passed even though it passed this time less than what it passed the, um, the first time voters voted on it and then the last one, I think Proposition 1 mm-hmm. I think that was a big one in the city because it's dealing with the police residency I voted no on it in the state capitol. I think this should have been a local control issue. We should have voted on it. We voted no. But since the state decided to pass a bill without our voice, that bill trumps our bill. Mm-hmm. Um, so police can now live an hour out uh, from city limits to be able to you know, work there. And I know we have that argument. We down officers. I get it. We was down officers and we had high crime now. We had plenty of officers and we had high crime five, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. I think we need to be smart on crime, not tougher on crime, and we need to have officers that culturally understand the communities they're going to serve. And somebody living in Lake St. Louis, you know, they don't know the area like Car Square or Riverview, and we just need those officers to be culturally understanding in those mm-hmm. communities. So those were those crazy propositions on the ballot. Yeah, for sure. We called it sneak dissent earlier. Voters agreed on something and then state legislators sneaked this, wrote it up again and put it back on the ballot to override what voters said. Yeah. And and that's the thing. People be even with the Prop D, you know, you have all these my colleagues, these Democrats that one feel like, oh, we're going to lose the Democratic Party. One, we are we're a city that is full of Democrats. Ain't no way Republican. And then two, there's this oh, our voters were. um they were uh, kind of, they didn't know what they were voting on, right? I feel like voters are very educated. They know mm-hmm. what they vote on, right? Do they need more education? Yes, but we shouldn't be saying, oh, clean Missouri as legislators, they didn't know what they was doing the first time and try to make it right. sneaky or sneak dissing right. and make it in a way where now they don't know between the yes or no. Like voters know what they want. And when they voted on Amendment 3, that should have been it. And yeah. yeah, legislators true. always think they're smarter than voters. And yeah, it's also it's, when you don't give the full definition of the bill properly to people and you try to hide what is actually happening right. in mm-hmm. it, right. then how are you actually allowing voters to have an educated vote in the first place if you're not telling them what the legislation is? So right. you just, you're, you're, using, you're trying to be their voice instead of providing political education. Mm-hmm. Your role as elected officials should be educating, engage, I call it three E's. Yeah, I mean, I steal it. Education, <laughs> empower, engagement. Um, and that should be our role as elected officials is making sure we're doing that to our constituents. That local education, like you said, is so important. And while the policy that we're having for some may be what we want and for others may not be what we want, like you said earlier, a change is coming. And we know that in the future with this new empower generation, there will be more positive legislation to push everybody up. So we just want you to give us your vision for the future when you get there. What do you think? Um, what do you think you would like to see in the city, and what are you hoping to accomplish in your current role and maybe in future roles uh, to help the city get there? Mm, what a, that's a that's a lot in that question. So, what do I want to see in the future? You know, I want to live in a city where we don't, and and I'm sure we didn't probably heard this before, but it, it gets to the point where we saying the same thing, and we should be able to create 
these changes. Like our ancestors have said the these same things, right? But I want to live in a city where, you know, your zip code don't determine where you go to school. It don't determine when people look at you, your poverty line. You know, I want to live in a city where people can walk outside their doors. If you live in O'Fallon Park or if you live downtown or if you live in Penrose neighborhood or Ben Park, to be able to walk outside and feel you know, a sense of this is your community, that you're not just existing. When you walk outside and you see no sidewalks, buildings falling down, you know, fast food restaurants on every corner, but no liveaway jobs, right? I want people to feel like that they are part of the area that they live in. I want the systems in place to not work the way that they are because the way that they are working is structurally the way that they have intended to work is mm-hmm. to hold certain people back when it comes to education healthcare, um, uh, economically wise, right? I want these systems to be able to not be equal. And I think that's a big thing. People think, oh, we all need to be equal. We don't. We need to be equitable. Mm-hmm. Um, because by putting us all equal, you say each ward get $28,000, but my ward needs more work than they do over in Light of Crusoe's ward, right? So you giving me 28000 um, ain't going to be able to help me get to the same equal level yeah. as other wars. But if we're equitable, understanding that certain communities have been hurt strategically, mm-hmm. it ain't like they just fell down on their own. Like we went in, not we, but the government or our elected officials went in to strategically hurt um, certain communities and to bring them down to lose population, not to invest in those houses or not to invest in their schools to purposely pull that money out. So, I want to live in a, a, a or be able to live in a future where, you know, we don't have to say black lives matter no more. We don't have to uh, also say, don't forget about black women. Don't forget about trans individuals like these should be things that they should be looked at as just as equal as anybody else. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me and my role, what I want to be able to accomplish even if I don't pass any legislation, which I don't think that's the case, y'all. I was so close last year at COVID. But even if I don't pass any legislation, I feel like my role is to, going back to one of those E's, is really to, or actually two of them, is really to be able to educate and engage people in mm-hmm. the process, right? They look at me as a state rep and they're like, oh, you're young. You're doing great work. I'm so proud of you. And it's like, I appreciate it. But, you know, you can also be you know, that state rep, you also can be that alderman or whatever you want to be. So to the younger generation that's coming up, that was like me at one point in time that didn't know if I go left or if I go right, what that means, right? I want to be able to be that voice and just that guidance and mentor to let them know that once somebody cares about you, but that you can also be in a position of power. We always in school say we want to make a difference and don't know how I was there. And look at me now, you know, met with President Obama, state representative, committee man out in the trenches and that can be any other person in the city mm-hmm. of st louis mm-hmm. i don't know what's next um i, I just want to make sure i continue to you know do what's right for the neighborhood and the community and if they say come back home or uh, if you know and make sure I, that tashara is great as mayor or mm-hmm. um organizing the community or if they say stay in jeff city and run for senate whatever the you know they feel that i can be most successful in making a difference that's what i want to do well, we appreciate having you on the show. Oh my God, <laughs> this don't even feel like a show. I feel like I was just talking talking with my sisters. Like that's what it's supposed to be. It's tea at the table. Tea at the table. <laughs> it was so much fun. I appreciate it. No, thank you so much. I don't know who needs to hear this, but it's a section of our podcast where you te- where we tell you what you need to know, but you don't want to know, but you need to know. 
So, I don't know who needs to hear this, but a person who has nothing to lose will help you lose everything you've worked so hard to build. Choose your company wisely. I'm saying this specifically thinking of, may he rest in peace, rapper King Vine. You simply cannot take everyone with you. And sometimes as you grow and elevate and become who you're destined to be, you have to let people go. You can't be so concerned with keeping your A1s from day ones around you that you're willing to allow that sense of loyalty to cause you to put yourself at risk or stray from your path or purpose. Mm, Give us a word, girl. That's so real. And so many people, especially in our communities, including myself, have to work on accepting that. King Vaughn and his loved ones are certainly in our prayers and thoughts. Absolutely. To his loved ones and to others out there grieving and mourning from seeing people be murdered or harmed before they get a chance to reach their full purpose, please know that grief and mourning is truly a process and healing does not happen overnight. Yes, and speaking of grief and mourning, I don't know who needs to hear this, well, perhaps Lil Wayne, Mm. but please don't consider supporting lawmakers just because of what they can do for you. Speaking of which, did you hear about Ice Cube's meeting with the Trump administration? Girl, I did. And honestly, I don't understand why. I mean, listen, so I've been giving it some thought. And really, I think Ice Cube's heart is in the right place. So basically, Ice Cube is starting this organization called Contract with Black America, or CWBA, which is basically an idea to try to come up with collective issues and tactics to help improve life in the black community, right? So that's prison reform, that's economic equality, all of these things. And so he brought his plan to both of the political candidates at the time administration. So that's to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and to Trump and Pence. And when he brought the ideas, he basically weighed the two with the administration and had a meeting with Trump to talk about how Trump could roll his plan into Trump's platinum plan, which is Trump's plan for black America. And in listening to him, he just felt if Trump was willing to listen and put his plan into the plan that Trump had, he was willing to work with him. Absolutely. And I can understand that. I commend Ice Cube and I commend anybody who's working to make our world um, a better place for any group of people and certainly for um, black people. I'm obviously in favor of that. However, I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about not voting and supporting candidates strictly based off of how it impacts you um, alone as an individual or even just your community. We have to remember that, you know, today, you know, Trump the reality is right now in our country we have three-year-olds in detention centers we have children that will never see their parents again we have parents that will never see their their children again we have people that are completely unaccounted for we do not know once they cross the border where they are we have women in detention centers who have had you know things done to them medically where they will never be able to reproduce again and I will hope that we can all clearly see that that is a violation of human rights and human dignity We also can't deny that Trump has done a lot to roll back the rights for LGBTQ. Um, He's also uh, supported policy that would strip HBCUs of funding. I mean, we just cannot have these one-dimensional views of, oh, this person can help me. When you support policy and you think of law, you cannot just think of how someone can help you. You have to, or even just your community at that moment, you have Mm -hmm. to think of how that law or that policy can impact the least of these, if you will. 
Because what happens is you have, you know, today you turn your head and you don't think about other struggles because your community is okay. And then when the time comes and that person, that political party or that regime does something that's oppressive to you or your community and your group, you'll find that other groups are turning ahead as well. We have to have collective power and and collective consciousness. We just have to. Yep, absolutely. And anybody with a heart or a conscience that thinks about things in this way wouldn't disagree with you there. Exactly. And so um, that brings us to our last part. I don't know who needs to hear this, but therapy is for everybody. Yes. Okay. Everybody. We're in the midst of a pandemic, an intense presidential election, and life in general can be stressful. You do not have to have a chronic mental health condition to seek out talking to a mental health professional. I know treatment can be hard to afford for some of us, but if you do have the access and the means, seek it out. I go myself at least twice a month and it has literally changed my life. I don't know who needs to hear this, but take care of yourself holistically, mentally, spiritually, and physically. Girl, yes, I give me an iced latte, caramel, we whipped cream. Period, little pumpkin spice action. Self-care, y'all. Thank you.